Every one of us in this room, there are certain things about us that God wants to draw things out of us. And a lot of times it's through tragedy or maybe our past or, or whatever. We're going to talk about three people tonight. That God drew something out of them that maybe nobody else saw. And maybe there's something in your life that you don't see that God is trying to draw out. And you, you often think when I say something like that, that it's something bad that he wants to take out. And it isn't something bad. Matter of fact, it's actually something great in your life that maybe you don't see or no one else sees that God wants to draw it out. And some of us may say, well, I'm, I'm over 50 years old. What could God possibly do with me now? And, and why would God want to draw anything out of my life at this point? But in all reality, it was 40 years old when Moses left Egypt and he went to the backside of the desert and he ran into the Midianites. And he got into the land of Midian and he, and he got married and had children and he was there for 40 years. And after 40 years of living there, God called him out of that and he began to draw him back to a place that he used to be and something that he used to do, and not used to do, but to a place and a people he once knew. And God drew him out of the wilderness in a, in a surrounding of taking care of goats and sheep and he took him back to Egypt. Now, I don't know why he was over there for 40 years doing necessarily, but I know this. God was drawing him back for a purpose. And if you look at Moses, Moses on all the, on certain levels of things, he was a great catch. We know that he was, he was a, uh, a rare living young man who was uh, Jewish at that time because all the other little boys had been killed, run through with a sword or thrown into the river and fed to the crocodiles. He was drawn out. If you, if you study, I'm sure not about Moses tonight, but he was drawn out of the water, which means to be drawn out. That's what Moses means. And I begin to think, what is God trying to draw out of me? But what is he trying to draw out of you? What is it in your life that God is trying to draw out? What type of manifestation, what kind of work, what kind of uh, extracurricular thing is God trying to do in your life? And it may be something that you've never dreamed or even thought of. But Moses was sent back and he didn't have all the tools. He may have had the intellect, but when he went back, he had a problem with speaking. How many of you like to get up in front of people and speak? How many of you, it doesn't phase you, you can just get up and talk to anybody? Mary Beth, who else? Some people have no problem just getting up and talking, and other people go, man, I do not want to be seen. I don't know how many of you have seen the card. I'm going to bring this up. Don't get mad at me, Wanda, but uh, the birthday card that was picked for my wife th uh, this morning, and she let me see it after we got home, and, and she said, read this, and, and it was so much her. My wife always sits here, and yes, she does give me the okay or the uh-uh or the, or oh my goodness. She gives me some of those. But she doesn't ever want to get up here. It isn't about being seen. It's nothing that's ever motivated her. In all the years that we've been married, it was never an issue about being up on the platform. Because my wife, the things that she does is always in the back. It's always somewhere else that nobody really sees. It's always teaching kids or doing something that may not be appealing to some people. And I'm not dogging pastor's wives that have to be on the platform. And they want to share the table and they want to help preach. If that's what they feel like they need to do, rock on. My wife doesn't. But she's always been that person that'll do what needs to be done and give me the good level-headed advice that I need sometime. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. And so, but that's something, and so that card today just was so perfect fitting for my wife. So what does God want to draw out of me in my life? Is it truth? Is it hope? Is it honesty? Is it manhood? Is it breaking the curse in your family? Is it integrity, direction? And how about this one? God is trying to, trying to draw a fight out of you for your family. Every other man has never fought. They've just given up. But you're the one who's trying to draw a fight out of you that somebody will stand for something for the first time in the history of your family. Somebody will be the man or somebody will be the woman. 
And he's trying to draw it out of us. So many times people go through their life and just let things settle. They have these little, little things that birth in their heart, but it never manifests. It never man- and they become an old man or an old woman, and they die with that manifestation never being drawn out. And so tonight I'm going to go and talk about three people. These things that have happened uh, in each of our lives are to reveal to us who we were born to be. So what is coming out of your life right now? And let me ask you, in your commitment and in your walk with the Lord, what is being manifested? Because of your time here, because of your worship, because of your entering in, I will tell you this, the greatest thing that can happen to any believer is when you take personal your time of worship. Corporate worship is extremely important. Because if you can't worship, you can't do very much else with God. Because worship is focusing where? On Him and not us. So when we enter into worship, it kind of alleviates us and our attention on how great we are and how perfect that we may be. So what is coming out of you now? Or what is it that should be? And the first thing I want to talk to you about is to make a servant into a leader. A lot. Of, I heard uh, T.D. Jakes or somebody say this once in a uh, leadership message I was listening to. And he said a lot of people, they want to start off as soon as they get born again. They want to be on the front row or on the pulpit. Nobody wants to sit in the back row and progressively grow and mature and get to the place that you get up here. Most people want instant gratification on things happening in their life. And that is exactly how God doesn't work. And I'm going to give you some examples. I'll just go ahead and jump to one of them. And the first one is the last point of my message. But it was Joseph. Joseph had all the package when he was young. He had the insight, the dreams, the visions, the, the knowledge, and all the things that everybody looked at this young teenager with all this insight. But he was too immature to handle it. God was drawing it. It was birthed there, but it wasn't time to draw it out until many years later when he was 30 years old and he was taken in Israel, not Israel, but in Egypt, and he was placed into a place of authority. All the things that it compiled about in his life was drawing something out of him that was there at his birth. You've heard me say this a hundred times over the years. I believe that every one of us, when we are born, there is a specific thing that God would desire to do in your life. Something that's great that he wants to draw out of you that makes a difference. Now, we're not all evangelists. We're not all pastors. We're not all the things that everybody sees. But every one of us have things that are divine in our life at conception. I believe it's a package deal. I think when he wrapped you up and poof, here you were, and you began to form, and those cells were duplicating and quadruplicating, and you became a little mass of gooey stuff, and, and then all of a sudden you had these big frog eyes, and, and then you had your little tail, and, and you had all these things. I think even in those stages, before you were ever even close to being born, there was something divine about your life. We have Joseph, a man who went through many things and many years of prison and false accusations and being accused and things said about him that were untrue. Brothers that resented him and family looked at him and shook their heads because of his immaturity. But it takes a lot of things sometimes to get us to the place that God can draw out of us what was there at birth. So what was it about me and what was it about you that we're not blowing it that God can still draw it out? The next place I'd like you to go, and I didn't go any place for that one, but just talk about him. But I'd like you to go to Judges chapter 6. Judges 6. And we will uh, start in verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under the oak which was in Ophrah, and pertained to Joash the Azurite, and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. 
Now let me stop here for a minute. Because Israel had become an idolatrous nation again. They no longer embraced God. They, they weren't going to him as their sole provider. They were going to other places and shopping around and marrying people they shouldn't be marrying and allowing things into their families that shouldn't be there. Now, y'all remember a few months ago, probably, um, I don't know, maybe six, eight months ago, I began to share with you the difference between the Jews and everybody else on the planet. That the Jews have always held true to their bloodline. And how critical they still know what tribe they're from. How many of y'all know what tribe you're from? There are so many tribes in this Heinz 57 here. Who knows what tribe I'm a part of? I don't know. You probably don't know either. We have some things that are obvious like red cloud. Oh, yeah, right. Do we know there's some, there's some cloudiness in that at some point? But this guy, let me get off this. Thanks, Gene. You rent the whole message. Y'all ready to go home? All right. And Judges 6, we have... This guy, the Midianite, and uh, he was threshing wheat because the Midianites were, were going and ransacking everybody's property. And then the angel in verse 12 said, The angel of the Lord appeared in him and said in him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why is all these things happening? And where is all his miracles that our fathers told us of? Which did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Question mark. And now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. The only reason they were in the hands of the Midianites is they put themselves there. And so often in every one of our lives, the only reason we end up where we end up is that we put ourselves there. Y'all have heard me talk about self-inflicted wounds, and it's something that becomes so common. And I watch some people's lives, and it's, it's a self-inflicted wound again, and again, and again, and again. I'm thinking, when is this going to stop? When are they going to figure this out? I've shared it about watching my kids over the years, self-inflicted, self-inflicted. When is this going to dawn on them that it's not anybody else but self? And so that's what had happened with Israel. And, and so here we have this guy questioning God, and delivered us through the hand of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this, in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from, from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent thee? And he said unto him, O oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with you. Thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And let me tell you what's important about that passage. When he says, You will smite the Midianites as one man, that means there was unity. And I'm going to tell you this, where there is not unity, there is dysfunction. Where there is not unity, nothing can function right. There is a spirit of heaviness over any place that does not have a spirit of unity. I'll tell you an example. Remember when Nehemiah, went to, in, in the middle of the night, he took a few guys with him, and they went and spied at Jerusalem, and they looked at the walls that were torn down? We just read this last week. When they went there, what did they do? Nothing. They kept their mouth shut. Actually, says Scripture said that when he went back to the city, because he was in another nation, he didn't say anything to anybody. It was private. Until the Lord told him to speak, and then he went and he began to share his vision. And as he began to share his vision at the right time, people got involved. People became a part. We've been talking the past few weeks about servanthood. There is no way you can serve properly if you're divided no way this past saturday we we've done food pantry here for many years and i used to get real involved i haven't been very involved now for several years but every now and then i show up and watch or whatever and and got here the other day and just hung out basically and but there it was over 150 families here saturday that came and got food that was the most that i've ever known 150 about the biggest i've ever known we've ever had and as you go in and look and you see all these people working 
And, you know, there's some things that we have left over sometimes that they are able to share with their family or whatever, but most of it is just simply serving. Serving people, a lot of them, they're not a bit grateful for what they get. They just demand it. And if there's something to be gone through, they're going to pick through and get the best. I'll never forget years ago, we had some teens helping us here. Whitney, you may have been here back then helping. I don't remember, but I know Trevor was. And I remember we had a whole bunch of eggs come in, and we couldn't go through every box. We knew that some had some cracked ones, and some had all good ones. And people would stop these kids out there in the parking lot, and if their egg, if their carton had one crack, they would make the kid go back in and find them another one. And, and just the ingratitude... Why, why am I talking about I ain't meant to talk about that. Anyway, here's the deal. There was such unity going on in the gym when we walked in. There was pallets stuck, stacked up, put on stuff, and boxes all fixed. Everything organized. People were tearing boxes apart. People were folding up tables. People were cleaning. People were doing this, doing that. Why? Because there was a spirit of unity in that place. There will never be an accomplishment where there's not unity. Now, let me tell you how important that is in your life. Unity is a choice. You can either be a part or you can be a divider. That's it. If you cannot be a part, you will always be a wedge. And when it comes to ministry, it requires people jumping in and being a part, not a wedge. Have you all ever had a wedge in your house? Yeah. Things happening, circumstances happening, are happening, and things are going apart instead of coming together, and it brings division. So... Uh, Why is it everyone wants to be seen as the leader, but not very many want to be seen as the servant? Blows my mind. To make, and the first thing I want to talk to you, God wants to draw it. He wants to bring us into being a servant so he can teach us how to be leaders. Who was getting? He was a poor farmer trying to save a little bit of his crop from the Midianites. So he was hiding, threshing the wheat, getting the kernels out. Why did God, why did God see in him? I'll tell you what God saw in him. God saw a scared dude that was looking for some answers. And sometimes in our life, God is looking for some of us who are maybe intimidated, but we're still looking for answers. Go to the same chapter, verse 25. And that night it came to pass, the same night, that the Lord said to him, Take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock, and in the ordered place, and take the second bullock and offer a a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which you shall cut down. Then Gideon took, seven, took ten men of his, of his servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. And so it was because he feared his father's household and all the men of the city that he could not do it by day, they did it by night. And when, the, and when the men of the city rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was cast down, the grove was cut down by it, and the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. Let me tell you what just took place. We've seen somebody go from being a coward, maybe doing it at night, but at least he done it. God drew something out of a guy that nobody else would have ever thought. The same with David, the same with Moses, and now the same with Gideon. Someone that no one ever thought from, from Gideon? But he got ten of his buddies, and they went and they cut down with chainsaws. Back then, they had, I don't think they had still, I think they had Poland chainsaws, so it took a while. And they cut all these poles. Now, it's a joke, y'all. Y'all get back on there with me. The train's moving quick tonight. <clears throat> and so then when they cut down all these, these statues, these totem poles, if you will, if you will, of sexual organs is what they were. And so they went down and cut them all down, made a big pile, made a fire, and they tore down this golden image, and they destroyed it. And then they began to sacrifice and build an altar unto the Lord who was really who they were supposed to be serving in the first place. This set some things in motion. 
when one man was drawn out of a place that everybody else was, he began to establish something different in the whole, all of Israel. God's favor began to move. You can read the rest of it on your own, but we're going to stay here for just one more second. Go down to verse 34. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the children of East were gathered together and were over and pitched in the valley of Jezreel. Verse 34, but the Spirit of the Lord came up on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, and Ab- Ab- whatever his name was, was gathered after him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh and all that gathered after him. And he sent messengers into Asher and Zebulon and Naphtali, and he came up to, with them. Something began to be contagious. Whenever we begin to see someone who is passionate in your family, some of you were a first-generation believer, and something took place because something was drawing you out of everybody else in your family to be different. I mean, God drawed you out, and all of a sudden other people began to take notice. And Zebulon and and Naphtali and these other tribes began to jump in with the tribe of Manasseh, and they began to take their, their country back. And God began to move because God was drawing something out of somebody that nobody ever thought possible. Who would have ever thought Bill Wilson would would go to New York City and be there for 30 or 40 years, reaching 20 to 30,000 kids a year, from a little kid who was left on a corner and abandoned by his mother and sat there for three days with no food until somebody saw him and said, I'm going to try to help this kid. God was drawing something out of Bill Wilson. The same God. And sometimes I feel like we live in this, this little mentality that this God that we serve draws out of everybody else but us. And friends, sometimes the reason he can't draw out of us is that we're so confused and so bombarded with everything else we can't hear him. Because the Midianites are around, or finances are tight, or or I'm sick, or we've had a tragedy in the family. There's always something that seems to hinder. But God is saying, I want to draw you out of this if you'll trust me. You can read the rest of Gideon. Man, God did a lot of great things in him, but something began to take place. Because God was drawing favor and faith out of a man. The Bible says that God does not change. Hebrews 13 says, Jesus Christ is the same what? Yesterday, today, for he doesn't change. The only thing that changes is our surroundings and maybe our culture and, and whatever. And I'm going to go back to, to our church. Yeah, church culture changes some. But I'll tell you this, Jesus doesn't. And our world has changed. And Jesus was the greatest minister on the planet ever because he recognized how to relate to people. And wherever you are, and whatever business you're in, God is calling you to do something and drawing you to make a difference in people's lives that only you can influence. This is not just about ministry at church. This is about ministry where you are. I thought it was cool in verse 34, it said, in, in a boldness, the, Lord, the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him in a boldness. And I thought of Acts 2. Acts 1 says, you tarry in Jerusalem to be endued with power from on high. And when you're endued with power from on high, you will be bold. You will go out and proclaim his name. There is a boldness that will come upon you. And I felt the same thing in the Old Testament when it began to happen. And I'm going to close with this in the book of Acts in chapter 9. I often speak and make a lot of references to the Old Testament because I love the Old Testament. I like the practical side of, of people who were just normal Joes that God called out and done something amazing in their life. Yeah, I know they're Jewish. Yeah, I know that. But we've been engrafted in. If he can do it in their life, God can do the same things in ours. But I want to fast forward to chapter 9 of the book of Acts. And I want to read verses 1 and 2. And Saul, this is Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slander against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest 
and desired of him letters to Damascus to cut the sin. Damascus to the synagogues that if they found any of this way that they whether they were men or women they might bring them bound into Jerusalem so here's Saul and he's about to go to Damascus and he went and goes and gets a bunch of warrants and he gets these warrants and he's on his way there and all of a sudden on his way we're going to pick it up here in verse 3 but while he's traveling with all this scroll of warrants on his back and he's feeling good and big now let me stop here for a minute Saul was Saul was not an idiot he was not stupid Saul was extremely intellectual and extremely educated, much more so than anyone in this room. And he knew the Old Testament by far a hundred times greater than any of us. He knew it. He knew it. And he was out to prove how much he knew. And in this particular setting, we have him going with a man with a mission and on his way. You probably know the story, but if you don't know it, we're going to read it. Verse 3. I'm just going to sit still. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell on the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? You've read that moment? You've read that moment when you're questioning everything in your life? And everything up until this point, you thought you were great in life, you know, and just things were okay. But at this point, something began to click, and... And God began to deal with your heart. He began to, to speak to you. And, and for some reason, it began to make sense who this one who made us is all about. Because it goes back at conception. He, he set something, a measure of faith in you at conception that would always be there. And at this point, the light bulb went on. All of a sudden, you may not understand it all. But the light bulb went on. You go, oh, my goodness. There was something more to this than just me living and existing. And that's where Paul was. This is more than me just rising in Judaism and me being this, this scholar of the law. I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, the Lord said, I'm who? I'm Jesus, man. I'm Jesus. The very people that you're going to Damascus to arrest, I'm the one that they're following, and, and I need to talk to you. So the Lord says, I'm going to blind you. You're not going to see for three days. And I'm paraphrasing this. Don't, you know, don't cast me out for this. But he says, I'm going to blind you for three days because I want to speak to your spirit. I want to speak to your heart, and I want to reveal to you. I'm going to draw some things out of your life. Saul was never the same. And why Saul? If you go back to Acts chapter 7, you'll read, I can't remember what verse, but I know it's in Acts 7. If you'll go read the whole chapter, you'll see that Whenever Philip, a man that God had anointed and full of the Holy Spirit, began to go and teach and proclaim, and people were coming to Christ, and, and they were abandoning their past, and, and all the religion embracing Jesus as Savior, they got Philip, and I'm sorry, not Philip, but they arrested uh, Stephen, I believe, well, I'm getting confused, I believe Stephen, yeah, they got Stephen, and so they were going to kill him, and as they were gearing to stone him, it said that the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees took their coats off and laid them at the feet of a young man by the name of Saul, who is being mentored to hate Jesus lovers. So Jesus took someone like a Hitler and began to draw something out. And for some reason, we excuse why we can't be different. We make excuses for why things can never be different for me or never different from you. I heard a pastor today say, I heard him telling a story that, that a guy came up to another pastor. He was in a group of pastors, and this, this, this pastor went up and said to this big 
leader of another church, whatever, and he went and asked, he goes, man, I want you to pray for me. And this pastor said, what do you want me to pray for you about? He said, I want you to pray that my church will grow. And without missing a beat, this pastor of a large church looked at the young man and said, why should I pray for you for your church to grow? And the pastor was completely speechless. He didn't know what to say. And he said, your lack of understanding what you're asking for is exactly why your church isn't growing. Often, we don't know how to ask him and, and open ourselves up and say, Father, just use me. Draw out of me things that I never thought possible. Do things in my life. I, was, I went back in the side room this morning talking before we started service, and, and I watched a short video this morning. We're going to wrap this up. But we, um, I watched a short video this morning of, of uh, Stephen Furtick and Matt Brock and uh, Chris and some other dude that was involved in the worship and how things began to form with all these young high school age or just early 20-year-old guys and they begin to conform and, and together joining their talents and praying and believing God. But one of the things that happened about all these guys is that they all had a vision. And for you to have a vision, you have to see beyond you. Over the years, we've said something here for the past 15 years. We've said this in the past probably eight years. We've said this often up until that point we didn't. But where would this church be in 50 years? If the people do not have vision, this church will not be here. It'd be a big metal building that somebody will for, buy for a warehouse, and they'll park boats and antique cars in it. That's it. God has to draw some things out of us to place things in us for something to change. And friend, this is an individual journey. Yeah, we're in a group, and that's awesome. But it also has to go above and beyond just what happens to us. And I'm going to close. I'm going to tell you something I begin to think about uh, Paul. Why did God want to draw him out? What was his purpose? And Paul had no idea what was going to Actually, Saul had no idea what was going to take place. But let me tell you what began to take place in, in Saul's life until he was called Paul. He began to write. And why would God choose somebody like Saul? Because Saul didn't make grammat grammatical mistakes. He didn't make mistakes with the law. He understood it. So he began to write books and he began to write letters. So let me just read them off to you. He wrote a letter to the church of Galatia. The book of Galatians, he wrote it. He wrote the book of First and Second Timothy. He wrote the book of First and Second Corinthians. He wrote Ephesians and Galatians and Colossians and Philippians and Titus and Romans and Philemon and First Second Thess or said that no First Second Thessalonians and the book of Hebrews. Now do you see why God was drawing something out of Paul? It wasn't just about him, although he received the great benefits of it. How many of us have, have, have been so blessed that we've been beaten on the back with 39 stripes minus one or 40 stripes minus one? How many of us have been shipwrecked out in the ocean more at three different times and left for dead? How many of us were stoned by a bunch of Jews and left on the side of the road with a heap of rocks on us thinking we were dead and we crawled out of it again? How many of us was in a shipwreck, went and started a fire, reached down to get some lumber to build this fire, and a poisonous viper jumps up and bites us on the arm? He looks at it and goes, oh, really? And he shakes it off in the fire. How many of None. One man was drawn out and called out for a purpose friend you and i have been called and drawn if we'll let him for something amazing